I also do open water swimming too. Yeah, I read that. Side. Okay. And that's I've done up to a 25k, which is five and a half hour race. Just swimming. Just swimming. Welcome to the Just Women Sports Podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Erica Sullivan. Erica Sullivan made a splash with an epic performance in the pool at the Tokyo Olympics, where she won the silver medal in the 1,500-meter freestyle during its first year featured for women swimming. The Las Vegas native started building her resume in 2018 when she secured the U18 Swimmer of the Year award after ranking only second overall in the 100-meter event to Katie Ledecky. In 2021, the U.S. Olympic Swimming's Gold Goggles Awards recognized Erica as a nominee for the Perseverance Award. Now, only a freshman at the University of Texas, yes, freshman, her career is just getting started. Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, we we just said this before we started recording, but this I think is our first recording where a guest is coming in live from their college dorm room, and you just sprinted back from class to get on here. So um, I'm stoked about this because it's just like many firsts for the pod. It is. It's a, it's a humbling experience for me too, where you know you go from Tokyo to winning medals to hauling across campus with a backpack <laughs> trying to make like appointments on time. Yeah, and uh, without a bike, might I add, we were just talking about that as well. You had to, you actually had to walk or kind of like probably like a quick walk jog to get back here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm a swimmer, so I don't look like, I don't look calm and collected when I walk fast. Yeah. So I just look like very chaotic, yeah, light things, jog. Yeah, things on land, we would always talk about that uh, at Stanford. The land sports aren't like, you know, the swimmers just don't look normal doing them. No. Um, which in, in includes running, which is pretty funny. But um, I'm super stoked to have you on today. Excited that you're here and that you're able to find time. I know in your very busy schedule as a freshman at the University of Texas. Um, so how are you doing? How's how's life been these days? It's been good. We have another midterm week, so that's oh, nice. been fun. That's been a humbling experience. Midterms. Oh my god. Um, but other than that, it's been good. It's been. Um, exciting. I love Austin. I nice. love college. It's, yeah. I couldn't ask for anything more. That's awesome. I'm, I'm yeah. pumped for you. Um, I still remember showing up to college and just how it's just like I went from Georgia all the way to California and mm. you Vegas to Texas, which I feel like is quite different. So I'm sure it's been um, an interesting experience so far and quite the change. But before we talk about college, um, we're going to go back to the beginning, which is little Erica and, you know, where you started out with swimming. So talk us through what childhood looked like for you in terms of how you got into the sport and, um, yeah, just start from there. Yeah. Um, my dad was a swimmer at the university of Wisconsin, so he was a collegiate level athlete. Um, my mom had no experience in like club swimming at all. Okay. But we had a pool in our backyard just because, you know, born and raised Las Vegas, really hot climate. And my parents just didn't want to, like, stress out. And, like, they wanted to be able to turn around from the pool for a few minutes and know that I'd be okay. Like, that was the main priority. So we started off with, like, mommy and me swim lessons, which kind of turned into a little summer league team, which kind of turned into, like, a club swim. So I joined Sandpipers in Nevada, um, which started off as, like, once a week for 45 minutes. 
and then you know you kind of just progress up the rankings and before you know it I was on the national team of sandpipers doing you know four morning practices a week before school training around you know 26 hours a week full schedule and yeah I feel like sports especially nowadays do a really good job at like step-by-step progressions so you don't realize how far into it you've gotten until you're like oh wait this is kind of legit now totally you know? so that's kind of what happened to me that's funny that your parents, um, having a pool in the backyard, they wanted to make sure that you you guys were fine and could swim. That that was why my I got put into swim team. Uh, my mom was like, my children will not drown. They will be good swimmers. So she put all three of us um, into swim team. And I almost quit soccer to swim. So I'm like very excited to be talking to you today because I find the sport fascinating. And like you said, just the progression of how it goes from like you learn how to swim to you're just on like a casual swim team, summer swim team, and then it turns into club and then national team and all that stuff. So, um, but I'm curious, did you play any other sports besides swimming or did you get put into swimming so that you knew how to swim and then it just, there was nothing else? No, I did. I did a lot of sports, but they were a lot more girly because my mom was in charge. So I did (laughs) gymnastics, I did ballet, I did cheer. Those were the big ones. I did cheer till fifth grade too, and then I the bows and the dressing up was just not the environment for me. So oh I ended up gosh. dropping out pretty fast. Dang. So so for you, did you know like at what age were you thinking, oh, swim like I, I really enjoy swimming, like this is what I want to do? Um, I always really liked it. It was never like a I wanna do this for life kind of mentality, but it was more so just like a my friends are there and I like to hang out with my friends. So I'm going to keep showing up. So that's what ended up happening that way. But it's just so cool because I was so lucky to have friends in high school that I knew since I was like nine and we all went to the same high school. So it just, it was just really like a tight knit group. And so it really didn't feel like I was doing like a big thing every day. It didn't feel like I was training for anything. It just kind of felt like I was hanging out with the homies for two hours a day. That's amazing because I my experience with swimming, I really enjoyed it. But then I ended up having to quit because I got too cold in the winter. And I was like, Mm. I have purple lips. I don't want to be in the water. It's freezing cold. I guess it's probably a little bit colder, maybe in Georgia than Vegas. But um, but yeah, that's great that it, it didn't feel like you were training to go to the Olympics is kind of what you're yeah. saying. You were just enjoying it, having fun. You're with friends. Yeah. At what point did you, do you think that you realize like, oh, I have it, like the it factor and I could end up at the Olympics one day or I want to end up at the Olympics one day? Yeah. I wouldn't know about like Olympic level or anything, but I realized it was like, oh shoot, like this is legit. And like, I could go to college for this mm. when I was in a, like a freshman in high school. Um, I was, I won my first junior nationals, funny enough, at this pool, my sophomore really? year of high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No idea I was going to go here. <laughs> but I won my first junior nationals in Austin. And I think at that point, I was kind of like a little blip on the map. And then from there, it just kind of progressed into something of I, you know, made the junior team and then you know, eventually you make your first national team trip and you're on the national team. And then, you know, you make the world's team. And then before you know it, it's like, oh, you're on the national team now, which is kind of crazy. And like, you're on the Olympic team, which totally. blows my mind a little bit. 
So in, in terms of making those teams, is that purely based on like race times and, and placement that you do in different events? And then you're like, okay, you, you got first, second or third in, in, at this event, at this level, you move on to the next level. Is that how it works? Yeah, it's literally just ranking. So we all kind of have these big meets that all the top stars go to. It's like our U.S. Open, um, our Nationals. And luckily, I feel like soccer, so much of that sport is like chemistry and how you guys work together too. Totally. And it's subjective on the coach, like being like, we like that player. We want that player. This We're going to build our team around you. Whereas swimming and a lot of other sports are like, you get the time, you make the team. Exactly. So it's just yeah. very numbers based. And I, I think that's kind of comforting to me because mm. it's just like you have no like, well, what if moments, if that makes totally. sense. It's just like time is a time. That's like the numbers. You did it or you didn't. And I kind of like the way like that sport works. 100%. I can agree with that. I think, yeah, especially the especially as an individual sport, like a subjective individual sport, I think would be so like gymnastics you know, ice skating, those sorts of things. I'm like, that'd be so, yeah, that'd be so hard to just it based off of someone else's technical, technically like their opinion. But, um, okay. You talked about the sandpipers a little bit. So can you talk a little bit more about that? That was your, um, your club team in yeah. Las Vegas. And I read that you call yourself the grandma of the sandpipers now. So can you just talk about sandpipers and like what that, that team means to you? Yeah, so I joined Sandpipers when I was six. So it's pretty rare to stick to, like, one club program your entire life. Okay. But I've never swam for anyone else. I joined Sandpipers just, funny enough, I was doing, like, swim lessons at the YMCA. And my mom saw these kids who, like, look the same age as me just, like, flying up and down the pool. Like, crazy. My mom was like, these aren't swim lesson kids. Like, what the heck? And so she asked about it. And they're like, oh, yes, it's Sandpipers in Nevada. So we go and try out, and I got put in, like, the lowest level group. Like, I was not even in the group with those, like, speedy little kids. And so I just kind of had to, like, work my way up the ladder, and I eventually got to a point at 14 when I was in the national group with all of them. And there was around 20 of us. And it's pretty much a system of, you know, people come in, people graduate out. That's just the way it works. New group, different year. And once I was in the national group, I swam for a coach named Ron Aitken. And I ended up training for Ron in that national group for seven years. So after my four years of high school, I deferred college for three years to try to make the Olympic team. And in the beginning, I was the 14-year-old among the seniors, so it was fun. But, you know, as you start to age up and people start to age out and you don't, my last year, I was the 20-year-old with a bunch of 14 and 15-year-olds. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. And so... Big gap. Yeah, and you don't even realize it until they say remarks where I was like, yeah, so I joined Sandpipers in 2006, and they're like, I was born in 2006. And you're like, yeah. oh, that that's not fun. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That's hilarious. Okay, so you, you deferred college for three years. So yeah. you graduated high school, what year, 2017? 2018. 2018, okay. And your objective was you put off college for three years to try to make 2020 Olympics. Yeah, so I kind of went a really weird path. So in 2016, at my junior after my junior year in high school, I committed to University of Southern California. Okay. Um, I was ready to be a Trojan. Oh, uh, dear. I wanted to, wanted to do all that stuff. Fight on, baby. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I was ready to go. And then love the coach, love the team there. Um, with what I wanted to major in, it just really fit in nicely. 
I wanted to do film studies. Oh, very cool. And then basically what happened was um, my dad went through his stuff. I went through just like a lot of mental health issues. I couldn't really train. So I ended up sitting out. The plan was to sit out one semester. Okay. And then we found out that with my grades not being where they were supposed to be due to mental health issues, I didn't have enough credits to really go into USC. So then I decided Mm. to retake them and skipped another semester. Okay. And so it was going to be like a, and at that point there was only a year before the Olympics. So it was like, okay, let's just take a two year gap, totally. which isn't that bad. It was just going to be like, one was going to be my deferment year and my other one was going to be my red shirt year. And it was going to okay. be like, fine. And then COVID hit and it was just like, oh, do I go without knowing like the regulations of pool rules and like how that's going to work? Oh Yeah. Or do I just stay home where I have a lot of control in Vegas and I have, like, family friends to let me train and just do it that way? So we decided to stay. um, And they're just, at that point, a lot of my original coaching staff at USC had retired and they had left the program. So I just decided, like, oh, maybe I should start fresh and kind of look for a new spot for me. And I did. And I stumbled upon Austin, Texas. And now I am here. Three years later. And here you are. So I want to talk a bit about um, that period of time. But before we do that, I'm curious, how did your recruiting process go originally that led you to USC? Did you look at a bunch of schools? Did you commit super early? What? Because I just it's interesting talking to so many different athletes and how it varies between sports of what the recruiting process looks like and even just between athletes, some people commit super early, some people wait until the last minute, some people know where they want to go since the the age of five. So what was that like for you? Yeah, so I was friends with a lot of athletes in high school. And if I remember correctly, soccer's early. You guys commit early. Yeah, yeah. I committed my senior year, so I waited. But a bunch of my, I was the last player on my team, last player of my friends. Um, but yes, it, it, it does happen very early, which I think is silly, but that's just me. Yeah, like I had friends committed my sophomore year of high school. Yeah, totally. And we didn't do that at all. We didn't start, we had NC2A rules where we weren't even allowed to talk to schools until going into junior year. Yeah, okay. So September 30th, junior year, that's when your emails start to blow up and, you know, you get... Your, ma- your mailbox week. fills up. Mailbox yeah, yeah. just fills totally. up at once and you... Totally. You start to rank them, and then, you know, you just kind of chip away at the list, and, you know, the more schools you have, the pickier you can be. So, like, for me, I said, I'm not going anywhere cold. I'm a Vegas native. Smart. I cannot do cold. (laughs) No. So we kind of drew a line in the middle of the U.S., and I was like, okay, we're not going above this line. South of here. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that, that really, you know, cut the thing in two. And for me, I knew what I wanted to do right off the bat, so I kind of ranked them. Not just swim team, but and honestly, at the time, I didn't know I was going to make the night the national team or make the Olympic mm. team. So I kind of valued my film career more, just because it's such a hard field to get into and put your foot in the industry door. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, University of Southern California, based right in LA, best film film program in the U.S. And I was like, not even a question. Like that's where I want to go. So that made it easy the first time, but. The second time I went through recruiting, I was 20. I was a lot older, a little more, a little more wiser, a little more head on my shoulders. Um, valued uh, my swim career a little bit more because I kind of realized there's financial gain in that. 
Totally. So I tried to find a balance of both, and Texas just had that really good balance that I needed. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious, what got you into film? Like, why was that? Why is this your passion? Like, when did, when did this start? Yeah, I was always into cinema. I always liked the concept of storytelling. I was always, you know, cool with the camera. I was the iPad kid who, like, make movie trailers with all our friends. That was just always really fun to me. But I never really knew what I wanted to do until my senior year of high school when I watched Lady Bird for the first time. Okay. And I walked out of that movie and I was like, I want to write film and direct it. Like, I want to write coming of age narrative film from, like, the female perspective. Because I just watched that movie and I was like, that character essentially has nothing to do with me. We we have no similarities. Okay. Yet, like, I saw so much of myself in her. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's what I want to do. Very cool. So... Here we are. Here we're in doing Austin, film school. Or University of Texas, they have a good film program. Yeah, they do. It's uh, run by Matthew McConaughey is a big Oh, very of it. cool. He, he teaches a class here. Um, it is top ten. Um, so it's it's pretty good. We had Austin Film Festival a week a weekend ago. Oh, and I had some friends come down here and do that. So it's been really fun. That's incredible. That sounds super fun. And it's very cool that you like know what you want to do. On top of being an Olympic swimmer, which you probably will do for, you know, many more Olympics, but then you also have this outside passion, which like you're very excited about and you're actually taking steps to to be able to pursue it post-swimming or during swimming. I just spoke to Tina Charles the other day and um, and she's she directs and produces her own films, which is like documentaries, which is incredible. She's doing it while she's playing, which I think is really, really cool. Um, so hopefully, yeah, you'll be, you should actually connect with her. Um, it'd be interesting to have you guys talk because it sounds exactly like what you want to do. Would you want to do documentaries? Would you want to do fiction? Like, what are you into? Yeah, so I, uh, Stanford has a great documentary program. Um, and I just remember thinking to myself, especially when I was back in the recruiting pool, I was like, if I end up at Stanford, um, I think I might just drop the narrative scene and go into docu-films. Not my not my passion, but I definitely have seen enough documentaries to be like, oh, I could do this for a living. Yeah. But um, my heart and soul is just the the narrative, contemporary, where it's like realistic. It's not really sci-fi, hmm. but more just like Breakfast Club and you know just those kind of movies where it's book smart, Lady Bird, just like the movies that are about something. Yeah. And it's kind of just very like subtle where. It's, most people would say they're like boring cinema because they're kind of about nothing, but they're about life. And it's yeah. so much more complicated than that. And I just, totally. I love those metaphors. Totally. I love that. Um, and that's very cool. I'm excited. I hopefully will one day watch one of your films. Oh, thank you. That's the dream. I'm going <laughs> to go up to 2024. Uh, plan is to go to Paris. Okay. And then after that, I'm, I'm going to retire. Really? That quickly? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. I think... I think with swim, it's, I mean, soccer is the same way, but you just spend so many hours in a pool that even, you know, it's just really hard to maintain both. And I feel like right now I'm in a stage where I'm maintaining both, but I really want to make like leaps in the film industry and like really, really hone in on it like I do with swim. Yeah. And I think, you know, at 20, I got to go to Olympics number one. Hopefully at 24, I could go to Olympics number two. But by the time I'm 24, I think it's more so time to, transition in the film if I really want to make any impact there makes sense and I do I can understand I mean I feel like soccer is a little bit like this especially 
you know, in a consistent season and playing with the national team, it is a little bit of like a groundhog day feeling. But I feel like swim is probably 10 times more <laughs> groundhog feeling because it's just, a, it's a repetitive motion, right? Whereas like soccer, there's like a little bit of creativity, not a little bit, a lot of creativity involved, different, you know, you, you come up against different opponents, but with swimming, it's like you, yourself, the lane, the pool, and that's it. So I totally Very much so. get what you're saying. And I and I respect the fact that you like know when you want to be done and, and you have your goals. And then you're also, again, like I said, super passionate about doing film post-swimming, which is very cool. Um, but to get back to swimming. So when did you start doing, like when did you start choosing the long distance events? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a lot of people choose not to do it where yeah, they realize they're good. 1,500 meters. How, how many laps is that? 30. 30 in a long pool. That's so many laps. Yeah. And honestly, I also do open water swimming too. Yeah, I read on that. The side. Okay. And that's, I've done up to a 25K, which is five and a half hour race. Just swimming. Just swimming. Do you, have you done it in the ocean or just like in? Yeah, that was in a that was in a harbor in South Korea. I did it at Worlds in 2019. Are you not scared like swimming in open water? Um, no. You're at that point. You're in like too much pain. Where you're like, <laughs> if something happens, it happens. <laughs> like, That's hilarious. Yes, I think I think for me, I've just had a very good ability to hone out and just like do it, like just hone everything else out and just zone get into my own little zone and just aimlessly swim consistently. And the running joke is that distance swimmers and open water swimmers are a little bit, you know, mentally insane and they're slightly masochistic in a sense because they really like that much pain. Yeah. But I'm just, I just go. (laughs) It's so weird. I just like the, I like the low stress situations of open water. I feel Mm. like, and distance swimming in general, I feel like sprinting is just like 30 seconds no mistakes true do or die and that stresses out like my mindset beyond belief my brain cannot comprehend that but I feel like with distance swimming you can make a few mistakes and still kind of recover and it's a little more it's a little more like a chess game and it's a little more strategical yeah no that makes sense I I always think about when I'm watching the Olympics swimming and running or track and field watching the like 100 meter or the 50 meter in swimming it's like you mess up that's it it's one shot it's 10 seconds in in the run like and that's it and like you said that's such a high stress situation whereas I guess with the longer swims or events there's there is room for a little bit of mistakes like I I don't even know I feel like you have to swim pretty freaking well though to to be winning those too like you can't there's not that much margin of error but maybe like a little bit more a lot a lot more than you okay (laughs) um because in tokyo i was totally behind the rest of the field for like the first 600 okay i wasn't even close and then what happened and they went out too fast they started Mm. you know they faded out towards the end and i warmed up and i was good to go and i i brought it home so if that was a hundred, I I think I went out last. Like, yeah, it was it was not good. It was so much to the point where my family was watching at home, and they're like, "Listen, guys, 
Sixth in the Olympics is amazing. She's <laughs> yeah, doing they're so watching good. They're watching like, yeah, no, that's, oh, man. And then you got second. And then, and then I got second. And that's they were incredible. just like, they're like, you stressed the hell out of us. And like, we had to sound really optimistic sitting in that viewing party room where they're like, she did so good. Six, Six. is so good. Yeah, yeah. Which it is. I mean, even being at the Olympics is like such a testament and such a yeah. success. But um, that's very funny. So good for you. Mm-hmm. You 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 turned it around for your family's sake. Yeah, yeah. I gave them I gave them a night to celebrate. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, I want to talk about your lead into the Olympics. So 2018, you graduate and you um, you defer because you want to focus on Olympics. And you came out swinging in 2018. You secured bronze in the 1500 freestyle at U.S. National Championships. You're named the 2018 Age Group Swimmer of the Year. And you're ranked overall second in the 100 to Katie Ledecky and third in the 1650. So, like, 2018, huge year. And um, so can you talk about that and just, like, did you expect that to happen? Was that, like, kind of you were building towards, all right, I want to have this type of year so that leading into Tokyo, I'm feeling great. Yeah. So I feel like um, it's really hard. And I think soccer is very much similar in this sense. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but like, I feel like putting your name out there is so much of, you know, being a starter and like Mm. being on the team and being named on the national team and the Olympic team and stuff like that. And I think swimming is the same way to where, you kind of have to establish your place in the sport before they even, you know, think you're reputable or they think, you know, like, oh, she's going to really do something for us. And I think it all starts, um, the first year after the quad is kind of a transition period, but two years out of the quad, that's when the grind time really starts to happen and they start to see, you know, who's the up and coming. So 2018 was just like that big year where I wanted to make my mark and I was lucky enough to to make it. I made my first U.S. national team trip, which was the Pan Pacific Championships in Japan. And yeah, it was going really well. It was setting up really nice to make the world's team. Um, That was more, I focused on pool that year. And then in 2019, I went towards open water to kind of see what I wanted to do for 2020. Mm. but it it lined up really well. Um, I was excited. I had just gotten over my hardcore depression stint from 2017. So 2017 and beginning of 2018, I was in therapy consistently trying to work out my mental health and trying to fix it. And then mm-hmm. I finally got to a place where I got better and I started to train better. And honestly, I'm really glad that it, it showed in my results. Yeah, totally. And good for you for actually seeking out therapy because I feel like so many people, especially young kids, like they are too afraid to ask or too afraid to, you know, to even say like, hey, something's up, something's wrong. Like I need, I need help. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, you've, you've championed therapy, like you've talked about this before. Um, Did you come to that conclusion on your own? Did you, was there someone that helped you? make a decision of like, oh, I do want to go to therapy. I do need to go talk to somebody. Like, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I feel like the issue with a lot of kids not reaching out to therapy, especially in this day and age, is that honestly, parents shut them down. I feel like- Yeah, it's like a stigma. Yeah, our generation as a whole has done a really good job in positively talking about mental health. 100%. And I think it's the older generation who kind of shuts it down most of the time. 
So for me, it was quite similar where I knew I needed to get help and I really needed to talk to someone. But my mom was like, oh, you don't need that. You have a good mm-hmm. support system at home. You have friends. You have this and that. Yeah. And um, honestly, it took a lot of pushing from my coach because I got to a point where I wasn't finishing workout anymore. Really? Yeah, especially just like swim is a sport where you're staring at a black line for two hours, essentially. (laughs) And so I would just do these sets and just stare and it'd give you a lot of time to think your own thoughts. And my my inner dialogue just got so bad that I had to stop and get out and I'd be like, "I, I can't go anymore. Yeah. And so I think at that point, my coach was like, okay, that's it. We're, you're going to see someone. Like, this isn't a choice anymore. And so with, like, really heavy pushing from coach, I think my mom realized, like, oh, yeah, 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 she needs some help. So luckily we contacted the people at USOPC and they got me in touch with the sports psych um, who ended up becoming my therapist um, at, in Las Vegas. That's amazing. And, mm-hmm. again, like, very proud of you. And hopefully even people listening – well, if they if they do feel a stigma around seeking help and you know mental health um, therapy, we'll know that like it's so important. Like I've been through therapy and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, so yeah, I, I I appreciate you being open about mental health and you know talking about it and and hopefully that'll and I know I'm sure it'll it'll help other people too, um, which I think is so important. But so you you know you go through like you said a pretty bad time mental health wise come back out 2018 you're hitting your stride and then in 2019 you notch the fourth fastest 1500 free in the world so what was that moment like for you and at this point has a 15 meter event been added to the olympics like when did you know that was what you wanted to do at the olympics yeah so it was in the olympics at this time and everyone was kind of setting up for it But I think it got to a point where the prediction of what it would take to medal at the Olympics was getting lower so much quicker. Mm. Because years prior, no one was training for the 1500 because they didn't have to. Yeah. And around, I think it got announced in 2017. And we looked at it and I think at the time it was like, I only had to drop, I want to say like, 20 seconds to medal at the olympics okay did you did that seem like a big number to you um or was it like no i can do that no because it's just such a long race it's not it's it's like a second 100 which is okay oh that's true okay good point um but then it ended up being from that point it ended up being 40 seconds for my silver so i ended up dropping 40 seconds from 2017 which is massive yeah that's incredible so it was like yeah i am getting better but everyone else was also getting way faster at an unprecedented rate. Yeah. So, yeah, like fourth fastest time is cool or whatever, but it, it was still fourth. And unfortunately, I was third in the U.S. Mm. So And is it top just, three or top two that go to the Olympics? Top two. Oh, shit. So in 2019, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even in a position to like make the Olympics. Okay, okay. So it was like, yeah, I'm getting better. And like, yeah, I'm hitting my stride. And yeah, I feel so good. But I still don't know if this is enough. Kind of like, it's a really scary feeling. So I think honestly, the way it's set up, like it really just kept me, it kept a head on my shoulders. I had no room to get cocky. I had no room to feel confident in my position because I genuinely didn't know. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. 
It's never too early or too late to celebrate women, especially those who boldly draw new lines to create new and improved playing fields both on and off the pitch. The Just Women Sports podcast has teamed up with our presenting sponsor, WIS, to share the inspiring stories of the female entrepreneurs and business leaders that are not only changing the game, but are also WIS clients. Today, we're introducing you to the geniuses behind the internationally recognized lifestyle brand Doré, Garance Doré and Emily Yetson. For the past decade, Garance and Emily have been collaborating on Doré. And what has made their brand so unique? Aside from the creative blend of photos, videos, illustrations, and writings, most of which Garance curates herself, it is Doré's focus on developing close and deep relationships with their audience. It is Duray's focus on developing close and deep relationships with their audience. Garance and Emily have been working together over the past decade to continue to elevate this value. They attribute their success to staying motivated, staying grounded, and learning to fight when they need to. In Emily's words, having a partner, a teammate, to rely on when the moments are tough, and someone to celebrate the victories with keeps us always moving forward and makes what could be a really lonely entrepreneurial journey much more collaborative and exciting. Grants and Emily, it is women like you who continue to change the game. Join us next week for more stories of female leaders in business, in sport, and beyond. That happens in 2019. Go into 2020, think, you know, you're preparing for the Olympics. COVID hits in March of 2020. So talk a little bit about how those first three months were stacking up and then what it was like when COVID happens. And then, you know, as all of us athletes had to sit there and kind of have this holding period of like, is the Olympics going to happen? Is it not? So talk about that a little bit. Cause I, I can imagine, and I'm, this is a follow-up question, but like the training for swimming is so specific and the, the like loading and then the taper and all that stuff. So I'm curious how that looked for you too, but first talk about the first couple months and then COVID hitting. Yeah. I think athletes had two separate COVID pandemics. Okay. Where it was COVID pandemic pre the Olympics were going to happen and COVID pandemic post the Olympics got pushed back a year. Yeah. Because I, I had this meet in January and I was hitting all my best times. I was, I was maybe around five seconds off of my best time in 2020, beginning of 2020 without even trying. Dang. I wasn't even shaved. So it was just... It was looking glorious. It you were stoked. Perfect. <laughs> I was so ready to go. So excited. Yeah. COVID hits. Um, I'm an optimist. I'm like, the Olympics are going to happen. That's Same. in August. Yeah. I was like, there's no way it's going to get pushed back. And then all the pools start to shut down. And I go into panic mode because I feel like with all these other sports, you guys can still condition with running a little bit. Yeah. But with swimming, you, like, need to feel water, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. You can't lose the feel. Totally. So we're all freaking out. We don't know what to do. It's just super stressful. And my coach is like, we are finding a pool. We found, like, there's a family friend who has a 25-yard pool in his backyard. You're going to his house and you're swimming in his backyard. Okay. And there's Lake Mead, 40 minutes up Vegas near Boulder City. You're, I don't care if it's. 50 degree water, put a wetsuit on, you're swimming in the lake. Okay. So we're just doing the craziest things while everyone is like in pandemic mode where they're like still chilled out in the beginning because it's like, oh, no school. Oh, like I'm having fun at home. Totally. I am freaking out because I'm trying to make the Olympic team. I don't know what's happening. 
And honestly, it was like kind of my motivation in the beginning of the pandemic. Then the pandemic, and then the games get pushed back. And I hit clinical. I was sad. I don't know mm. about you, but like, or like any other athlete in that situation. But I was very, very, very sad when uh, the games got pushed back. And I think a lot of it meant because I pretty much knew in my mind that I had to defer college for another year. Mm, yeah. And so I was just like, oh, I'm going to be 21 when I leave home. Like, that just doesn't sit in my stomach the right way. Totally. And so I, I took some time to really just take a break, take a breather, be a little less intense, and kind of went down in training a little bit. And then we kind of amped it back up as the pandemic started to get better and we started training regularly. But yeah, taper. In terms of taper, since I'm a long endurance athlete, I do not taper that much. Interesting. As much okay. As sprinters. Yeah. So we were at Olympic training camp in Hawaii around two weeks before the games, and everyone else is getting out like an hour into practice, and they're all getting massages on the table. And we were doing like full two hour, hard, high intensity practices the entire time. Crazy. Yeah. I it didn't was, realize it was that. Else. I didn't, or I didn't think that you wouldn't taper as a long distance swimmer because I remember I I spoke to um a sw- I don't know who it was but it was a swimmer and they were talking they were like oh you must be tapering before the Olympics this was maybe two Olympics ago and I was like yeah we don't really do that like ours is kind of, ours is similar to you like it's just consistent I mean maybe there's a little bit of unloading but um yeah I was always curious about that with because you don't distance. you don't want to lose your fitness totally. I feel like for 30 seconds you can you don't lose fitness like your endurance will be fine but for you know soccer matches that are extend that duration of time and swim events that extend you know 15 minutes you need to keep your endurance score up yeah and you can't really your rested muscles aren't really going to do you much absolutely absolutely so you said you were sad when the olympics got deferred i uh or postponed i def i had like this moment of like put my head on the table my girlfriend walked down was like did you hear and I was like what and she was like the Olympics are are postponed and I just like put my head on the table and was so was just like so I think sad as well but then it was like better to just know that it wasn't happening you know like you said there was like a there was two different pandemics for athletes it was before we knew and then after because I was killing myself as well to try to like figure out any way to train that sort of thing so once that happened it was like all right it's not happening this year like change the mindset look at 2021 and that's the focus um so how long do you how long did it take for you to not be sad would you say I was not doing well. My girlfriend that I was dating at the time, we were long distance. She was like, yeah, I'm going to come down there and we're going to quarantine together for a little bit. Oh, she knew. I I was not doing well. And honestly, that ended up being the doom of our relationship. Oh, no. (laughs) That's so funny. I feel like I feel like the pandemic was either like you figured out you wanted to be with the person or you're like, "Mm, this isn't it. But that's good that you figured that out. I was like, wow, I am not a U-Haul lesbian. Like, this is not <laughs> this it for me. This isn't it. We can't go from zero to 100. That's No, because we had started dating, like, beginning of March, long distance. Oh, of, of 2020? 
of 2020. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's went, a large jump there, Erica. I, I learned, listen, you live and you learn. You do. I was first relationship, 20 years old. She was 18. Um, we were going to go to college together at USC. And it was humbling. I grew a lot as a lesbian in that relationship. Um, it takes a couple to figure it out. I will say that. It does. Yeah. It does. For sure. But she was supposed to stay for two to three, but she ended up staying for six. And I was like, yeah, this isn't six weeks. For me. Yeah. Mm. Did you guys end it pretty quickly after that? Uh, yeah. Okay. I left USC pretty soon after that, too. Oh, so you were at USC when the pandemic hit? I was no, I was set to go to USC. Got it. But okay. I was gunnish, and she was a swimmer about to go into USC, so it was like supposed to line up perfectly. Got it. But then, so you decided to go to change from USC to Texas during 2020. Yeah, in the middle okay. of the pandemic. Got it. Got it. Got it. Which so is what? Insane. I'm curious what that conversation was like with the USC. You said a lot of the coaching staff had left. Like, did it? Was that a hard conversation to have to say, hey, this, I'm not going to, like, I'm, I need to uncommit. I don't decommit and I'm going to go to Texas. Well, it was actually pretty complicated. It was just like in January of 2020, coach number one retires. Okay. And I'm like, oh, okay. But another coach, the assistant coach is there. So I'll be fine. And then the pandemic hits and then word gets out that assistant coach number two will be leaving the university. Okay. And I'm like, oh, this isn't lining up well. Mm-hmm. well. We'll see how the new coach is. So the new coach comes in and it was just a full 180. Mm. And it was just like with the pandemic. And at this point, the Olympics had already been pushed back. So I pretty much knew I wanted to stay at home another year. Yeah. So I was like, at this point, I feel like I should talk to other schools. And I didn't even know it was Texas at that point. Mm. So I decommitted and said, I'm going to go back into the transfer portal. And I'm going to go back into the recruiting class. So... On top of that, I talked to Louisville, Texas, Stanford, Virginia, U of A, just a lot of different schools. And I decommitted in June and I was committed to Texas by September. Wow. So how did you, so, so what did that process look like? Did you go visit? I mean, it was COVID. So what was, what was going through or how did you finally make that decision? Well, there was blocks on recruiting. I don't know if you kept up with that, but then Z2A did hard blocks on any recruiting, so I couldn't go on any official visits. They were all on official visits. Okay. And it was more so just, like, me walking around campus. Couldn't see any of the coaches. Um, couldn't view any of the practices because they were very limited. Yeah. So I pretty much met the team predominantly through Zoom. Oh, wow. Just these, like, team recruiting Zoom calls. Was it awkward? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It was really awkward. And so, I mean, it's like I was lucky that we were all kind of on the same page. So it was like comparing apples to apples. Yeah. Because like everyone was on Zoom. But it was a, it was very different than my first time do, going through the recruiting process. Yeah, makes sense. Well, okay. So you end up decommitting from USC. You commit to Texas. But then you have all of the fall of 2020. And then you go into 2021 into the Olympics. So what, what did, did 2021, like January kind of look similar to 2020 January? Like you were, you're like, okay, we're back into the same situation. We're in the same place. We're going, we, we have the Olympics in six months or I guess eight, no. seven months. Okay. My no. Groove, my groove in January, 2021 was polar opposite of groove in January, 2020, because 
on Christmas of 2020, I had COVID. And oh, no. I was out for two weeks. Yeah, okay. So I come in January, out of shape, can't breathe, yep. horribly ill, frail. I had a swim meet in San Antonio in January just to see where we were. And my coach actually had to take me out of the, the 1500. Because he didn't think I was going to finish. And yeah. I'm pretty sure he cried when he took me out because I think he thought it was over. Oh, no, really? It was it was bad. Yeah, it really wasn't good. Wow. Okay, so when did so when did things start to turn up for you? Honestly, it wasn't till like April. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Were you starting to get stressed? Oh my god, I was so stressed. Okay. Um, yeah, I was unbelievably stressed. I think with all these training camps that we were doing, I really started to hit my stride like March, April, May. Mm. Um, but I hadn't really competed at that high of a level just because no swim meets were happening yeah so it was just very much like a this could either go really good or really bad kind of gut feeling and by the time trials came around it was more so just like we are gonna push this to wit's end and like we are it was honestly mental like mental strength at that point when i walked in olympic trials dang so okay so you you're walking this is your first olympic trials Second. I won in 2016. Oh, you did? Okay. Okay. Yeah. But How... different. First first meet I've had in maybe two years. Like a Is the Olympic full... trials? We hadn't had spectators since wow. pre-COVID. Okay. So what is your, what's your mentality, your internal feeling going into this Olympic trial? It's called Fear. Olympic trials, right? Fear. Olympic trials. Okay. Fear. Fear. Terror. I didn't eat for a week. I didn't sleep for a week. Really? I was nervous wow i will say this olympic trials is more stressful than the olympics well i can i i i can i can see why because it's like all of your hopes and dreams yes are if you were to make to the olympics they fall on that if you medal that sort of thing but you have to make it there first and the only way you make it is this one meet and to me that's Mm -hmm. crazy that's so stressful it's terrifying and it's also scary that america's olympic trials are more competitive than the olympics most of the time i'm sure yeah i'm sure and so it's just like okay here we go three years of college deferment all coming down this to is one what... one 16 minutes oh my god well you qualify so i qualified and like weight off your shoulders like what was that um, moment i got bronchitis the week after oh my god because so you were just out. so stressed and then you let your body wow so you got bronchitis because trials is when june it's in june end of okay. june and then you get bronchitis so, before you go to the olympics yeah get i get bronchitis we're at home for a week before i go to training camp in hawaii i get bronchitis i'm going to the doctor and i'm like listen i got olympic training camp in three days you need to hit me with the z pack yeah all the goods so Everything. i got the medication got over it pretty quick because i started sleeping and eating again and recovering Skid. again it's important and then yeah, really important. And then just went straight into training and trained for the games. Dang. So your your mom and your dad are both from Japan or just your mom? No, just my mom. My okay. dad is from St. Louis. Okay, so hometown of, I don't, I can't, Ofuno? Ofuna, yeah. Ofuna. She's okay. around an hour out of Tokyo. Um, and yeah, my grandpa lived in Tokyo before he died in 2017. So I've okay. spent a lot of time in Tokyo. Yeah, so what was it like to 
you're you're going like you you've been to Japan, you've you visited Tokyo to now be competing in the Olympics in Tokyo, which is like your mother's home country. Yeah, and like a place where I visit every yeah. year so casually. Yeah. It was comforting. Like yeah. I feel like I mean, um you totally understand. When you go to a national team trip where you don't understand the language, it's pretty much people pulling you around everywhere. Yeah. Pretty you can't much. you can't take charge. You 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 have to be okay with not knowing what's happening at all times. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Like you kind of know what you're supposed to do, but you only know that you're there to play your sport. And other than that, you don't know what food you're gonna get. You don't know where you are. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Yep. If the bus driver is lost, you have no idea. So it was just it, honestly, it was super comforting to have that level of control of being able mm. to speak the language and like showing up to the airport with. COVID mania with the chaos of trying to get the through the airport during COVID, which yep. was horrific. Um, yes. And it was just comforting to, like, know what was going on. For sure. That, yeah, I, what must have been very nice. And I, I like, love Japan and love Tokyo. Um, were you able to get out and see Tokyo at all, or were you guys... Only allowed in the village. You guys weren't out because we we couldn't leave our hotel. Yeah, Yeah, we went from village to bus and bus to pool, pool to bus, bus to village. Yeah, yeah. You guys weren't in the village. No, we were in a hotel, and it was a major bummer because I like I feel like Tokyo did such a good job of putting on the Olympics, and I knew that if there if it would have been COVID, it would have been one of probably the best Olympics, just because I just think that they would have done such an amazing job for all the fans, spectators, athletes to be able to go out and experience the culture and like the city of Tokyo and the food and all that stuff. So that was, that was a big bummer, but, um, it is very cool. Were you guys, were you guys able to Uber eats to the hotel though? I never did. I, I think some people like ordered up from the hotel restaurant, but, um, but no, we didn't. We had one, meal kind of out at where we were doing like our pre-camp training um Miyazaki but besides that it was just hotel food which it was actually they did a very good job very fresh food they I mean again I was blown away by Japan and Tokyo and them putting on um the Olympics but you guys you guys trained predominantly at that Olympic like not the Olympic training center but like the Japan version of the Olympic training center right like that weird yeah, we did all of our recovery there. You're talking about the thing that had, like, the gym and then, like, yeah. there was a pool. Yeah. We would we always there, go. We were there for, like, two days. And I think oh nice. someone met Tobin there and sent me a picture. Okay. And I was like, oh, man. Missed it. I know. That was our only time really, like, having interaction with other U.S. Olympic athletes, which is so fun. Like, that's one of my favorite parts of the game is being, like, you're on Team USA. Like, these all everybody in all these different sports are your teammates. And so just being there and doing – the days that we did our recovery there was fun to be able to like pass by, you know, I saw a bunch yeah. of old Stanford friends. Um, so yeah, it was cool, but okay. So Olympics, 1500 meter going into the event. Are you like, I, I, I'm going to medal. Like, I think I'm going to medal. Or were you just like, I'm happy to be here. I was happy to be here. Really? I was in a room. I was in, I was in a really great room with Regan Smith, who's at Stanford now. Um, okay. And we had Alex Walsh, Kate Douglas, and Emma Wyatt, who are now at UVA, University of Virginia. And then we had Phoebe Bacon at University of Wisconsin. Okay. So it was just all these college students 
in a room together. It was just heightened college life, but you're at the Olympics and you're not partying. You're just there for a job. Yeah, but that's still fun to be with, like, all your buds. So much fun. And then um, a lot of people in the room start bringing medals home. Um, Oh, okay, okay. Emma brings one day one, uh, silver medal in the 4am. Regan brings a bronze in the 100 backstroke. And Alex and Kate are literally the event before me. And they are more than likely about to bring home a medal. It was looking okay. really good for them. And so I was like, shoot, I need it. I need to bring one. Feeling the kind pressure. Of felt, I kind of felt the pressure during yeah. during the last few days there. And so I look at Reagan in the morning because we're on the, the plastic bed side by side around two feet apart. And I'm like, Reagan, I want a medal. She's like, dude, like you can do it. Go and get it. So, And prelims and finals were done really weird in Tokyo to where Prelims were at night and finals were in the morning. Oh, okay. Interesting. For for American television. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I woke up that morning on finals day being like, yeah, you're going to do it. Like, you just you just have to do it. Like, you want it more than anyone else. And luckily, yeah. it worked in my favor and I did it. It's amazing. How did it feel mm-hmm. to get a medal? It was crazy. It didn't feel real. It honestly still feels like a fever dream. Because, like, <laughs> I don't have the medal here with me anymore. Like, okay. it's in Vegas at home. Yeah. So I kind of forget about it sometimes. Totally. And, I'm, and, like, I have the rings tattooed on my side now. So, like, sometimes, like, when I'm getting ready for some practice and, like, changing it, I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, oh, yeah, you did do that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. That's awesome. When did you get the tattoo? Um, As soon as I got home. Really? Um, before my 21st birthday. Yeah. Was it your first tattoo? It was my second tattoo. I have, like, a tiny okay. ankle tattoo that I got okay. when I was 19. Okay, very cool. So, yeah. you, I mean, you you are in six, you get second, you get a silver medal, you get to come home, and now you're, like, walking on to UT's campus in Austin. Like, what, that's a, that's a very, there's a lot that oh, no. happened in a very short amount of time. I will surprise you right now. I win the medal. I come home to Vegas for two weeks. In Vegas, my hometown, I have the silver medal. I turn 21. Oh, sick. Even better. Wow. Celebrate my birthday with a medal. That's Pack my bags and then come to school. Wow. So I just had the most insane two weeks of my life. Totally. Where it was just like home and like all this media is happening at home because my social media blew off as I was flying home. So I'm doing media week one, celebrating my birthday while packing up for school week two, show up here. They kind of like throw us into freshman orientation and athlete orientation, registering for classes, moving into dorms. I will say my first month here was like a whirlwind, like nothing had settled. I, I can imagine. Do you feel like you're still riding that high or have things started to settle for you a bit? Um, I think I'm getting in a groove now. Um training i think with we call october rocktober okay why because it like rocks all our worlds because it's really hard Um, (laughs) sounds amazing rocktober rocktober is hitting right now getting a getting a good uh good rhythm going uh have a girlfriend now have a relationship here so that's been that's been getting me going she keeps me humble it's going better than the last one oh so much better okay good 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 (laughs) um and yeah, it's been it's been good. Well, good. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I mean you're only a freshman. I guess you're an older freshman, but 
you've done so much already and like I feel like you have so much ahead of you which is very exciting um and it's I'm excited to see like what what you do and the films that you produce and all that stuff so um and I know I've taken up a lot of your time and you're like literally practicing going to class all those things but have a couple other questions to to end um all right so these are repeat questions and the first one is if I wasn't a swimmer I would be you'd be a film producer yeah in terms of athletics though I got super into female soccer after I read a fan fiction when I was 15. <laughs> okay. Um, it's called CC7 and LJ10. They're Camilla Cabello and Lauren Haregi fan fictions. Okay. I don't know um, what you're talking about. You probably don't. This is like really like teenage gay culture from okay. like circa 2015. Wow. Very cool. But yeah, that's what got me into like women's national team soccer on my oh, Tumblr nice. page at least. Okay. So... So um, would you be playing soccer? No, you wouldn't be playing soccer. Maybe. I don't have that. No, I don't. You do I it for the run. fun, for like the 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 good times. I, I do it for the girls in the sport. <laughs> oh my god, I'm curious. Are there a lot of LGBTQ in swimming? Not really. No. Okay. Like I'm not even I'm not even dating an athlete right now. Yeah, that's sometimes so, better. Trust me. Yeah, no, I'm very happy with it. Um, but. No, it's not that common. Got it. At least okay. not at, like, collegiate level. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, so if you weren't a swimmer, you would probably, or you'd want to be on the national, the women's national team. Is that yeah. it? Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a good answer. For wrong reasons, but yeah, I Yeah, not for that. the soccer at all. That's amazing. I love that. Okay. Um, all right. How do you take your coffee? Um, black. Nice. I take my coffee black. Me too. Do you, if you're drinking coffee, do you get... Do you just get, like, drip coffee, like, black coffee, or do you ever do, like, an espresso drink type situation? Um, if I'm just ordering, I'll just do, like, their house coffee on black. If okay. I'm feeling fancy, I'll do a pour-over, like, French press. All right. You got to try a Cortano. Okay. That's my drink choice. I love – I drink my coffee black, but if I'm doing espresso, get a Cortado. I'll find a good, like, coffee spot in Austin, and I'll tell you where to go, and you got to go try one there. For sure, for okay, sure. Cool. Okay, cool. All right, who's the one person in your life that's always kept you moving? Ooh. Oh, this is really funny. Two people, I'll say. I'll okay. say my ex-boyfriend from my freshman year of high school. Okay, please His do name tell. Is Brennan. Why is that? Brennan Gravely. Okay. Um, he was my first kiss when we were in eighth grade. Um, broke up, came out as gay, but we were on the national team together, so okay. we really had a full character development. Yes. Um, he's one of my best friends now. Aww. Love him to death. Um, he's one of the best people in my life that I could Sound, ask for. Sounds like a good guy. Who's number two? Um, equal. Equal rank to me. Um, but she's my best friend, Reese Lamp. She goes to the University of Reno. We swam on Sandpipers together for around six years. And, yeah, been my best friend since middle school. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. The besties. Keeping you the moving. Besties. Yeah, I love great. They keep me humble. That's awesome. As you yeah. as you need, and that's always important to have good people around you. All right, they say work hard, get lucky. How much of your success is predicated on luck? Ooh, in terms of swimming luck, I don't think any of it. Any? Maybe uh, a little bit because I'm lucky that the fifteen hundred became an Olympic event in this okay. quad. So I will say like yeah. a solid like we'll say like fifteen percent of it was luck. In terms okay. of like 
the social media stuff and me being in a position where I can advocate for like mental health and gay rights and the Asian American community. That was literally 95% luck. My tweet of me being a gay Taylor Swift stan just blew up and then- Wait, is that what happened? Yeah, they said, I said I was a gayler. I said I read- A gayler? I didn't even know that was a term. Oh my God, it's so good. I said I was a gayler. And then in my press conference, I said I was looking for, I wanted Kristen Press and Tobin Heath to reach out to me because- Oh, okay. I am a raging lesbian and that blew up. And then just all of these little gay fandom Twitters just boosted me and that's what happened. Oh my God, you're like the queen of gay in swimming. Yeah. In just Look at stan that. Twitter. Like, they just were like, oh my god, she's on stan Twitter. Like, freak out. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm on stan Twitter. But I've been on stan Twitter since I was, like, 16. Oh my god. I don't know half of the terms you're using, but I... This is hilarious and amazing. <laughs> like, stan Twitter and, like, Gaylor. I don't know what that means. What is... I, stan, I get the Gaylor thing, like, gay Taylor Swift fan. I'd never yeah. heard that before. I don't know how yeah. I had it, because I love Taylor Swift. But... It's yeah. like the fandom who thinks that Taylor Swift was gay. And I think oh. everyone's gay. Okay. Gaylers. Got yes. it. So we're the Interesting. Gaylers. Okay. So, so you're, okay. This is great. 15% in swimming, 95% in social media. Love yep. it. Okay. Great. No one's ever answered that question like that. So that's amazing. All right. Last question. You've accomplished so much already. Where do you want to go next? And how do you keep pushing? Where do I want to go next? Um, more. I just, I want to make another Olympic team. I want to go on more trips. I want to make more friends. I want to, you know, boost UT to hopefully, fingers crossed, an NC2A championship title. That'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah. There's just so many things I want to do. And after after that's done, I want to do film and I want to make movies and I want to win an Oscar. And there's just, there's a lot of things I want to do. Totally. I love it. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a great answer um and again so exciting you have so much in your future you're so young but you are i feel like you know who you are and you are genuine and passionate and to me that is like the most important and i can't wait to see all the things that you do next um so thank you for the time today this has been awesome to chat with you and i've learned so many new phrases of course welcome to gen (laughs) z gay twitter talk Oh my God, amazing. I am now on it. I'm with it. Very cool. All right. Thanks, Erica. This has been so fun. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. Our show is produced by Just Women Sports. For more great sports content, go to justwomensports.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports podcast. Catch you next time. Before I head off the air today, I want to make sure you all know that Just Women Sports will be bringing you NWSL championship coverage with The Warm-Up, a pregame show brought to you straight from Louisville and exclusively streaming on TikTok Live before the championship match kicks off on Saturday, November 20th. The Warm-Up will be hosted by soccer greats Leslie Osborne and Angela Hercules. You can follow the Just Women Sports social channels for more information and coverage of the championship match.